Welcome to Art Nature Science on the Binnaburra Cultural Landscape, the podcast that tells the story of the mountain's natural wonder through art making and exploring the creative spirit and celebrates the history and heritage of this magnificent World Heritage Area. My name is Michelle Walker and I'm joined today by Lucy Schluter. Lucy is a potter who has a strong connection to Binnaburra. She's the granddaughter of Arthur Groom, who co-founded Binnaburra, and Marjorie Groom, who first introduced Lucy to a potter's wheel. Hi, Lucy. Hi, Michelle. Great to be with you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I understand you're writing some material for the Art Nature Science program book and that you're going to be covering the creative arts programs that were run in Binnaburra over the years, and I'm thinking 70s and 80s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Can you tell us a bit about the history of that program at Binnaburra? Sure. So I was um, invited to host a pottery workshop at Binnaburra as part of the Art Nature Science program that's running at Binnaburra this year. And as part of that, I sort of did a bit of my own research, wanting to know a bit more about pottery at Binnaburra uh, and the history of pottery at Binnaburra, particularly because um, of my connection and, and my grandmother's connection as a potter there. And I went a fair way back into the, the history of um, arts at Binnaburra and the Creative Arts Program, which started in 1969. So that program came into being uh, through an idea conceived by Tony Groom, who was the lodge manager at the time. And uh, there were quite a few sort of guest days, low numbers, and and there was a need to draw more people to Binnaburra during uh, months where it was pretty quiet. And Tony conceived this idea of bringing Creative Arts to Binnaburra and running different programs or workshops at the lodge on different sort of different locations on the lodge and uh, effectively what came about over time was a nine-day program that was run annually in July and brought a whole lot of creative arts to the mountains so um, painting, writing, poetry, blacksmithing, silversmithing, weaving and pottery so there was quite a lot uh, going on and a lot to attract people to the mountain and it was a really exciting time. So the first, um, the first sort of schools or workshops that were held on the mountain were held in in 1969, and, and they continued on until sort of the mid 80s. Uh, and pottery came into that um, that program in 1971. So they attracted quite a lot of really good tutors for the programs and for, for all these schools, and particularly with pottery, a couple of local potters. Errol Barnes, who later established Live Bird Pottery on Springbrook. Mm-hmm. So I had an opportunity to go and chat to Errol recently, which was great fun. And he's still um, practising, uh, not as much as he used to. However, he he ran the first two workshops, the pottery workshops, in the pottery shed at Binnaburra and had, a, had quite a few funny stories about that time and that early days of establishing pottery on the mountain so, uh, you know, they, they brought in some wheels for the pottery shed, um, which were then could be wheeled away when the program wasn't running. But uh, Errol took it upon himself to build a kiln out the back and he asked for some insulating bricks, which you need for a kiln, to build a kiln. And um, unfortunately, something got lost in communication and he was given normal bricks. And so he couldn't get the gas kiln up to temperature. No, it doesn't work, does it? No, it doesn't for pottery uh, when you require quite high temperatures. So um, just a few funny stories about those early establishment days of, of pottery there. But eventually a, a proper kiln was was bought and, and set up out the back there. So 
that was the sort of genesis of pottery there on the mountain through the creative arts program. And there were lots of people who were coming and participating in these workshops and so much so that I think they ended up becoming uh, sort of a two lots of the weeks run in July. So two creative arts programs effectively in July. And there were recalls, you know, raccoon firings and things like that as well. So um, there was quite a bit going on and, and all the participants would go out into the park and spend time in the park and draw their inspiration from the rainforest and the open forest and go back and, and make their pieces. And so it was a pretty exciting time on the mountain. And, and that was just one of the programs. So at the same time, you know, you had painting and other things going on music and all those sorts of things. So yeah. it was a pretty exciting time in Vinavara's history and, and there wasn't much of that sort of thing happening elsewhere in similar settings. So it was um, it was a pretty amazing thing to get going and, and ran for a decent period of time. So, yeah, sort of changing the, the nature of uh, people coming to the mountain, not just for those sort of connections to the beautiful surrounds, but also to do that with you know other sort of artistic expressions involved so um yeah such a fantastic combination isn't it to be offering someone a new adventure in a learning and then put that into the situation and the environment of Binabar right in the heart of Lamington National Park with yeah. that utter beauty and it's I think it's a superb combination I feel very you know excited that it's been rekindled through the art nature yes. science program it's just a delight so tell us a bit about your grandmother's history with pottery and mm. how that connects with you so Marjorie um, did a lot of pottery when she was quite young before she uh, moved up to Binnaburra uh, after she married Arthur. And all of that pottery was mostly hand building, as I understand it. She went through the LJ Harvey School of Pottery, which was a pretty prominent school at the time in the 1930s. And, and just the other day, actually, a few of us in the family went to visit the um, art gallery and, and um, saw one of her pieces that she donated. Oh, wow. Uh, from an exhibition back in the 80s. So that was pretty spectacular. Uh, but when she got the opportunity to, you know, once kids had grown up, you know, the three boys had sort of gone on their way and, and she worked quite intensively at Binnaburra over the years. And I think she got to a point in those sort of early 70s that sort of became a, a slow retirement. <laughs> um, she probably still kind of did a lot of work on the side anyway. But she then sort of went more into the pottery, back, went back to that pottery and went more into the wheel throwing and spent a lot of time learning with people like um, Cooch and Harry Mehmet who were um, pretty well-known potters. Yep. Uh, we, we used to have their pottery cups for our, Yes. Because <laughs> they were just up the road from us. So, And I did yeah. classes with them. They were amazing. Yeah, yeah. so they were very well-known. Yeah. And she fired with Cooch Mehmet over the years and, and Ivy Potiphar, so another well-known um, Potter, who was also a tutor in one of the creative arts pottery uh, workshops. So, so Nana had the opportunity to sort of put more time into her pottery once she sort of entered those retirement years. And um, she used the pottery shed uh, at Finnaburra that um, sort of came about with that creative arts program herself and used it for her own practice and made a lot of the pieces that were used ultimately in the dining room, in the lodge dining room. Yeah. Um, so, and they're pretty well known. Yes, they, soup terrines. They were the thing, cold <laughs> winter's night and then you were having these yeah. beautiful pottery vessels. Yeah, That's um, right. And so many people speak fondly of the soup terrines and recall them. I think they're quite a piece and, 
And she used to get, you know, a big slab of clay and, as I'm told, literally just throw it over a rock. And that's how she would get these beautiful organic forms um, and create these soup terrines. And uh, so she created all those and then she was always creating, you know, cups and sauces and wine goblets, always wine goblets for the family. And she did a lot of that in the pottery shed and then and used the kiln there at the pottery shed. And then when her little cottage was built further down um, the ridge from the Sky Lodges in the 70s, she was able to move her practice and her wheel to outside the cottage. So uh, when I was little, I was, you know, I sort of have these great recollections of sort of being roughly about five and, and watching Nana throw what looked to me like just like mud and created these shapes on this spinning wheel. With it's, a, it's magic, isn't it? It's just a magical <laughs> yeah, process. It was just incredible. And to see that come together and then overlooking this incredible, you know, landscape from see from her cottage it was just beautiful and then ultimately I was able to you know she sort of taught me or you know gave me little lessons and I just remember being this you know youngster feeling this stuff through my hands and thinking it was amazing and so um, you know it took a long time before that was able to I was able to sort of really take that on and I guess life takes you in lots of different directions and it's taken a while before I could come to that so have that space to be creative and connect with clay but that feeling and that sensation, that tactile nature of working with clay has, I don't think, ever really left. It's something mm. that's in that muscle memory or something. So, yeah, I've, I've got fond memories of, of all this clay stacked outside the cottage all covered from the weather and, <laughs> and Nana going out and making her pottery out there. So it was a beautiful time. And all her pieces that either cracked or had something wrong with it ended up in the garden around her cottage. So there was pottery everywhere. <laughs> And what a fantastic journey and uh, such a special memory for you. And so now you've come back to full-time pottery. Mm. Tell us the name of your pottery brand again. So my little practice is Whitbird Pottery. Um, which doesn't have to be that little, by the way. (laughs) Small batch. (laughs) Obviously, yeah, with that sort of connection to Binnaburra and, you know, I guess I'd call it my spiritual home. And every time I walk into the park, it doesn't take long before you hear a whipbird. It just resonates with me. So that's where the name came from. They're pretty elusive little creatures. You hear a lot of them, but it's hard to hard to often see them. Yep. They um, scurry, don't they? Like they do. They'll, they'll kind of <laughs> low, low fly across a road or across yes. into bushes and suddenly, you know, it's a bit of a flash of olive green and they're gone. Yes, that's <laughs> right. Know. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful colours too. There's sort of the black yeah. and the olive green and the white and very distinctive looking birds. So so that's where the name comes from and um, just a bit of a nod, I guess, to my connection to Inabara and the land and the rainforest and, and that special place for me. Yeah, yeah. So tell yeah. us tell us a bit more about the workshop that you ran. So taking what you've learnt coming back into your practice and then sharing mm. it with others. Yeah, so it was, a, it was a wonderful opportunity to be able to share that sort of what I think is quite a restorative practice with others Uh you know, be able to bring pottery back to Binnaburra after quite a period of, of not having it there uh, and being able to bring people into a space that's naturally beautiful and quite an inspirational and calm setting and work with clay. So participants were effectively guided through hand building. So we did a hand building workshop, showed them through pinch potting techniques, how to create a mug and a bowl and And it was pretty special because it doesn't take long before people are actually touching the clay that things start to happen. I I love that creative flow and and you could see people slip 
effortlessly into that um, quite quickly. Um, and I was really enjoying watching that. Then just out of nowhere, without any prompting, the magic happened. You know, a few people just slipped out of the pottery shed and walked into the courtyard that uh, adjoins it. And there's beautiful ferns and um, eucalypt and, and a whole lot of other sort of inspirational, really an inspirational setting and materials. Yeah. And, you know, a few people just started to forage leaves. And the next minute they've, they've come back in and, and they've wanted to include it in the pottery. And so we it evolved into effectively imprinting these foraged leaves into the clay. Um, and some beautiful results came from it, just incredible organic forms, but with this nature's imprint effectively on, mm. on the pieces. So um, it was lovely to see and just, you know, give a few tips and tricks and explain clay and explain the Malleville nature of it and, and talk through that, but then let people go and see what see what eventuates. So I think oh, I probably had more fun than the participants in some ways, just I the joy of seeing. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, so that was lovely to share that and and that, yeah, that really sort of that tactile nature of it and and to see what people come up with. Yeah. Do you have any aspects of your pottery practice apart from the pottery practice, but is there anything from shapes of form or glazes that hark back to what you used to see your Nana doing? Great question. There's there's some things that I think have naturally kind of come into it. So I love creating pieces where there's a couple of different glazes involved and you can layer those. And I, I love making functional pieces, uh, so tableware, but also things like oil burners that are decorative but also bring a bit of atmosphere to the room. And I, I used um, some black clay to create some oil burners. Wow. And then I suddenly thought, okay, well, if I can bring some olive and some white in, I've got the colours of the Whitbird. And so I was able to effectively recreate those colours. And then after I'd done it, I realised that the colours were quite um, similar to some colours that Nana had used years ago in making a little mug set for me. So she knew that my favourite colour was green and she would deliberately try to bring in little elements of green glaze into um, the pieces that ultimately I got for a birthday or whatever it might have been at the time. Um, so looking back, I think, well, that's probably slipped in there subconsciously. But I love playing with different clay bodies and glazes combinations basically inspired by things I see in the rainforest. So mm. I've combined a lot of clay bodies to sort of do marbling of different pieces and a lot of that's drawn from you know seeing the after effects of the fire in 2019 and and seeing effectively trunks that have been mottled almost with the fire and that survived and these yeah. these beautiful colors that come through um, you know these blacks and then these these really strong earthy colors and the combination of those so and things like new growth in the forest so ferns you know the, the beautiful vibrant pinks that come on the end of the ferns along with a quite vibrant green and, and how those combine. So I, t I take my cues a lot from the forest floor, waterfalls, the valleys, the mountains, and and probably some of the, my, I don't know, the pieces that I really am drawn to are the ones that have those sort of really um, warmer, earthier clays, but with somehow bringing in blue and green and brown glazes over the top mm -hmm. of the clay body. Uh, and 
I see a lot. I see the mountains. I see that blue green of the mountains a lot. That seems to come through either deliberately or sometimes subconsciously because beautiful pottery is is one of those practices where you can't always control the No, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a yeah, random dip sometimes with glazing. That's right. Okay, so I want to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions. So don't oh. think don't think yeah. just first thing that comes to mind. If you had to sum up Binabara as one photograph, what would it be? Or well, two immediately come to mind. Okay, I'll give so, you two. So for me, it's coming up the road and seeing Groom's Cottage. Yeah. And the second one is Yangala Rock and the view from Yangala Rock. Mm, beautiful. Mm. What does art, nature, science mean to you? I think it's an intersection of lots of different things, of creativity, of, of the environment around us. And I think Binabara is an incredible place to have that intersection of art, nature and science. I think the surrounds naturally lend themselves to people being creative and that it gives space for people to think and to get away from the everyday and realise that there's a bigger world around us. Yep. Creativity is? Expression mm-hmm. and beauty. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Mm. And what's inspiring you right now? Oh, well, a couple of things. I think um, I went for a big walk the other day out to Upper Balanjui Falls and I've been doing a lot of work creating um, cups that sort of have a bit of an abstract waterfall look about them. And so that sort of thing I'm, I'm really enjoying. And also some new clay bodies that I'm using um, and just seeing how they fire, how they work with different glazes and texture. Texture is a big thing for me at the moment. So um, doing a lot of with, with different clay bodies without glazes. Mm, beautiful. Well, thank you for all of that, Lucy. And I'm just wondering, is there anything else you'd like to add about from the stories that you've been researching or your own pottery work? Oh, look, I think it's just um, it's a really uh, exciting time at the moment, I think, with this program at Binabara bringing together all these different artists from different practices and, and seeing what's evolving and seeing who that's bringing to the mountain and, and this renewed interest in creative arts on the mountain. And, and for me personally, a lot of it is also about honouring Marjorie's legacy and, and the pottery that um, she made and then was used by the lodge for so long, um, which unfortunately has been lost in the fire. However, mm. I think there's a lot there in her practice, her pioneering spirit in, in supporting Arthur that I think is worth honouring and, yeah, to be able to be involved, um, it's a real honour and a privilege. So I hope to continue to do that and, and yeah. I think um, there, there will be some more workshops coming, pottery workshops, so I'm pretty excited about that. So and connect people with clay in such a special place is, is something I'd really love to do. Yeah, well... I've just so enjoyed hearing your story and hearing what you've discovered and sort of sparked some of my own memories back from that time. So I thank you so much. How can people connect with you and your art practice? Lucy, what's the best way? For me, I sell my pots mainly at markets. So I advertise all my work and upcoming markets and workshops on Instagram. So at Whitbird Pottery. Um, that's my main online presence. And Perfect. um yeah, that's where I sort of connect in with with market goers and and people who enjoy my work. Um, so that's the best way for people to contact me. Yeah. Great at Whitbird Pottery. That's, that's right. It. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for your time, Lucy. Great chatting with you. Thanks, Michelle. Lovely to chat.
The producers and artists on this podcast acknowledge the traditional owners of the Binnabar area in Lamington National Park, the Yugambeh Language Group. We also thank Catherine Slingsby for the podcast theme music, an excerpt from her piece, Sweet Dreams.